Hey, what's up? You guys doing okay? Man, it's so good to see you. Jeez, I can't even like, we actually got a brighter light so I actually can't see your face. I think this is a mean trick. But hey, it is so good to know that you're here in the room. And uh, man, I am, we've been waiting for this for about 11 weeks. Isn't it crazy? The 11 weeks ago, we, um, we shut down our service and um, our in-person gatherings and it has been, it has been nuts um, working towards that. So it's just so good to, to be here in the room with all of you. And also right now for this service, we actually have people watching online. So if you're watching online, hey, it's so good to see you. I want you to know this for those of you who are watching online, that we knew when we opened back up the building, there would be a lot of people who'd feel uncomfortable coming out. And so one of the things that we talked about as we moved closer towards this day was we wanted to make sure that you had a great experience. So hopefully what you've noticed as you've watched us online is you've noticed that we have upgraded our cameras um, and if you haven't noticed, just watch services in March and then watch this one, and you'll be able to see a very nice difference there between that. Um, but we just want to create a great experience for you. We did that for you. And I would also say this to those of you who are watching online, and maybe you feel uncomfortable coming out, um, hey, I just want to make this offer to you. I, I still want to interact with you. And um, if, so if you feel uncomfortable with a large gathering, but you feel comfortable with maybe just me and you, I would, if, you're, if you're interested this week, I would love to set up a time where we can meet, and uh, I'll do communion with you. It's just a way to say, hey, I'd love to connect. So if that's something you'd like, you can mention that in the comments below, or you can even just email me at ryan at nlspringfield.com. I will work around your schedule, I promise. I would love to be able to connect with you in that way. Um, and hey, to you guys who are in the crowd, uh, man, you guys, got, you guys got a hot ticket. Man, I tell you what, you guys got a hot ticket. The 9.30, this thing filled up on Tuesday is when this thing filled up. So, so glad that you were able to get here. I know that some seats did open up uh, at the end of the week as people drop, but, um, but man, it is, it is good to see you all here in the room. Um, hey, just want to give you a little bit of a housekeeping thing. So we're going to do this for a while uh, until we have the restrictions eased, and so we're going to continue to go with this RSVP system. Um, and I would just say this to those of you who are here at 9.30, if, if 9.30 is the best time for you, the only time that you can be here. I want you here, okay? Like, come at 9.30, be here. I would rather see you at 9.30 than not to see you at all. Um, but man, if you are someone who actually likes to wake up early, I know that they're out there. You can wear your pajamas, I don't care. If you would consider helping us out by attending, at least periodically, our 8 a.m. service, it would help us out a lot. Um, our ability to grow through this season it has everything to do with, with people coming at 8. Because what happens when you come at 8 is it opens up seats because there are people who probably got on on Thursday, wanted to come at 9.30, and they weren't able to because it was full. So, But I, again, hear me. I'd rather see you than not see you. If you're like, hey, I'm going to be here, be here at 9. I want to see you. Uh, the, thing, the event's already open, so you might want to go ahead and snag that seat for next week. But hey, um, but man, what a crazy 11 weeks it's been, right? Like I, I was thinking about just how unique our gatherings have been and the different ways during this season we have tried to help you know Jesus better. If you go all the way back to the first service that we did, it was uh, me and the band and a random guy from the street in here broadcasting this service for you. Then we kind of switched our format. We went to more of a low-key setting that was in kind of like a, 
I don't know, like a living room kind of feel, and we did that for a while. We did pre-service and post-service hangouts with our staff. We're continuing to do those online now for our online community. They, on Wednesday nights, we tried to, to, to offer some content for you um, where we would interview people who would be able to answer questions that you might have. And so we had, had Dr. Jake Spain, he, interviewed, he did an interview. We had Jason Lister talk about some financial stuff. And then we even had our former lead pastor, Dan Call, come in and talk. And, and even, so we, we were constantly trying, like, hey, what can we do to help people know Jesus better during this season? And it all culminated in the last three weeks with Drive-In Church, which was like sweaty, stinky, but also kind of cool at the same time. And here's what, here's what all of those things have showed us. That God, he is not confined to spaces. That he's not confined to a way. That no matter how you are in, interacting with this content, we can pray that God will use this to help you know Jesus better whether you're here or whether you're watching online. And that is a very beautiful thing that we have discovered over this season. Now, as beautiful as it is, I would say this, that some people in their zeal and fervor for this season have almost like completely neglected the beauty of meeting together. So you'll see some Christians that'll say things that'll be like, it's about time the church got out of its four walls. Or, or, or you'll, you'll hear Christians say, the church is not a building. And to that I would say, it isn't, but it also isn't a computer screen. And, and absolutely, like we need to get outside of the four walls. And I agree with the sentiment of both of those statements, but I would bet the fact that you're here reveals the beauty of what we are able to do. And even for those of you who are watching online, as you watch this, I would bet that there's a part of you that thinks deep down in your heart that is, I cannot wait till I'm able to come and be with them together. But wherever it lands, the beauty of the seasons, it did teach us something about the church. And what the church is, is the church is God's people pursuing God's presence. And because of the gospel, we're not confined anymore. Because of the gospel, this is something that we can do. And as we've been seeking and asking the question in this series, what is life? How do I find meaning? How do I find my purpose? How do I discover life? It is really important that we talk about engaging the presence of God. Because as you discover your purpose, as you try to figure out what is life, it is very difficult to do that outside of the presence of God. And this text, though it is in chapter 5, it's one that we've wanted, to, that we've saved for this moment just because it seems to fit really well. Let me read this. in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It says this, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Some of you know what song that's from, right? 
Jesus, I am so in love with you. That's the word for business. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow, many there is vanity. But God is the one that you must fear. This morning I want to look at just three things to be aware of as we engage the presence of God. Three things to keep in mind as you pursue God's presence. The first thing is this, is as you pursue the presence of God, be aware of who you are in relation to who he is. That as we spend time trying to know Jesus better and trying to grow in our relationship with him, it is so important that we realize that though we are special, though we are made in God's image, though God has redeemed us and we can approach Jesus confidently, that we are not his equal, that he is not our peer. And it's a, it's, he, yes, he is our friend, but he is also our king. And so as we, as we say, hey, I want to engage, I want to grow in the presence of God, I want to know him better, it is so important that we know who we are compared to him. And as Solomon is talking about this, he makes it very clear that this is something that we've got to keep in mind. Look at this in, in verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He says, let your heart not be hasty to utter a word before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. You, you see this idea that says, okay, Yes, you have access. Yes, you can be in his presence. Yes, but don't forget who he is. Don't forget what he does. Like where it says there to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. It's talking about as you are going to the place where you worship, as you go to the place where you worship throughout the week, or you do the, your like as you live your life, make sure that your life matches how you are when you worship. That there should be no separation from okay, well, this is how I act at church, or this is how I act in my connect group, this is how I act when I'm around this group of people, and then this is how I act when I'm with my bro. That he's saying that you should be mindful of his presence at all times. That there's no separation. And if you were to come to him acting like there was, to think that I can play by my own rules when I'm not here, well, if that's what you think, what Solomon would say is Solomon would say, 
well, then you have no idea who he is because if you knew who he was, you would know that he sees you everywhere you are. And you would know that he calls you to be holy as he is holy. And though that's only possible through Jesus, it's still the standard that he sets. So to act like he doesn't care or to, to segment your relationship with him to a place, it misses the beauty of who he is. You also see this picture here where it talks about the sacrifice of fools. And, and there's something very interesting in that picture that I've never really considered before, but it's there. And it's that fools offer sacrifices too. That, and this is interesting because he's talking about the temple in the Old Testament. And to worship in the temple in the Old Testament would have required lots of pomp and circumstance and work. And Solomon's saying, yeah, yeah, there are fools who do that. There are people who put in all the work and they don't even care about God. And while we don't sacrifice the same way today, the truth is, we do some of the same things. But when you think about the sacrifice of fools, sometimes the way that fool, a fool would sacrifice would be they make their time with God all about routine. That they make, it's not about engaging the presence of God but it's, it's about just trying to get an action out of the way. Now, I think that the novelty of what we've had to do for the last 11 weeks has kind of made some of us even long for routine a little bit. But the truth is, is that if, as you come into a place to meet with God, if your heart or your desire is anything less than, I want God to speak to me, I want God to, to help me to grow, then you are absolutely unaware of who he is if that is your desire in that moment. And to do so would be the sacrifice of a fool if you make it about routine. For me, I have to constantly, as I read my Bible, and I have my devotion time, I have to be so careful to not make it about finishing the chapter and make it about hearing from what, hearing God's word. Because for me, I will, I will feel good when I'm done, and then I kind of look back on it, and I'm like, was I even trying to engage in what he's saying or was I just trying to check a box? And to do that misses who he is in relation to who we are. And Solomon would say that is the sacrifice of a fool. Because if he is who he is, you should want to hear from him. Another way that a fool would offer a sacrifice would be we try to use things that God wants us to do to make him do things for us. So the idea behind that could be well, came to church. Should be a good week. You know, I came to church and I prayed. I even sang during that song because the chorus was easy. Surely, surely I'm gonna, God's going to bless me this week. Or, or, or we do it with giving. We say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give, and now because I gave, surely the ball is now, God's going to take care of me and everything's always going to bounce my way. And, and, and that's how a fool would think because when you consider who God is and who we are, there is nothing that we can do to manipulate him to do anything. That, that it's like my daughter at dinner saying, Dad, I'm only going to eat one broccoli and you're going to give me dessert. And I look at her and I say, no. <laughs> like it, it doesn't work like that because I'm dad. 
And when we try to manipulate God in the same way, it's like, no, you don't get to make that decision. You can't force my hand. And to think that you can makes yourself think that you're bigger than you really are. The other way that a fool comes and, and sacrifices is that they come into the presence of God with no intent to listen. They come in and it's like, I, I'm just going to talk. I'm going to tell them everything. Tell them all the things that are wrong, all the things I need to do. And, and if he is God and he is in heaven and he is beyond us, then the truth is we all probably talk a lot more than we should because we can get far more out of hearing what he has to say than telling him what we are thinking. And all of this where who we are in relation to him, it's, it's tied up in this nice little bow there at the end where Solomon says that God is in heaven and you are on earth. That that is his way of saying, you guys aren't even at the same place. <laughs> that he is so far beyond us that we aren't even physically where he is. So who are we to think anything other than, God, thank you that I can be around you. So we see that we need to be aware of who we are in relation to who he is. And then we see, also as we consider this text, that we, we need to be careful what we say. We need to be aware of, of promises that we don't intend to keep. That when you come in the presence of God, when you realize who he is, and you're kind of like struck by that, some of us, the tendency in the presence of someone greater than you is to just start talking. This is why when an angel shows up in the Bible, often their first words are fear not, because we don't want to know what you're going to say. Like, you just don't know. And, and there's a really funny scripture that, that you see where this happens. Now, for those of you who are familiar with, with, with the Gospels, that it's a story called the Transfiguration. That this is a story where Jesus takes James, Peter, and John, he takes them up on this mountain. And, and what God does is he, he, he literally like transfigures Jesus before them. It says that he became so bright that he was brighter than anyone could ever bleach them. But that's the gospel's way of just striving for a metaphor, trying to explain something supernatural happening in front of them. And so while, while God is changing the appearance of Jesus in a dazzling way, Peter looks and Moses pops out of nowhere. Now Moses has been dead for hundreds of years. Jesus is being transfigured, Moses shows up, and then he like blinks and Elijah is there. And Elijah has been dead for hundreds of years. Peter's in this spot where he is seeing like something amazing happen. And Peter, like me, feels comfortable talking and not just listening in the moment. So Peter's sitting there, he's watching this happen, and he says, Lord, it's good we're here. Now I just I think about that, and it's like, is it? Like, Peter, is it good that you're here? Like, God 
is transfiguring Jesus and Moses and Elijah are, are there, you really think that it's good that you are here? That God is so done with it that he actually just stops and it's all over after Peter says it. And it shows us something about ourselves, is that in the presence of those that are great, we just, we like to say things. And what, what Solomon is saying is he's saying, be careful what you say. Be careful with your words. That language is how we communicate, but we need to be careful with how we do that in the presence of God. Look, verse 4, it says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? That this is the equivalent of praying with your fingers crossed behind your back. That, that this, is, this is the equivalent of saying with no intention of following through, God, this is the last time I'm going to do blank. That this is the equivalent of the person who, when you give the opportunity for them to respond to the gospel, that, that they raise their hand, not because they want to repent and put their faith in Jesus, but they raise their hand because in that moment that appeases their conscience, but they have no desire to change their lifestyle. And what Solomon is showing us here is he's showing us that that is, that is not wise. What Solomon is showing us here is that as we come into the presence of God, we need to be careful what we say. And, and he gives us a few things to keep in mind as we do. That one is that if there's something that you know that God wants you to do, like don't, don't wait till tomorrow to do it. That if you know that something needs, to, if you know there's a behavior that you need to change, like it does God no good to say, I'm going to do it with no intention of doing it, or I'm going to start tomorrow. No, start now. Like we, it's always so frustrating to me when it's like November and I hear people say, well, I'm just going to wait till the first of the year before I correct that. Why? What's magical about January 1? If it's an issue, deal with it now. A lot of people see this with their devotions. They say, you know what, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Like, well, if, if that's something that's not part of your life, like, why not start today? Why do you feel like you need to wait till tomorrow? And people do this with giving. They say, you know what, I'm going to start I'm going to start, oh, I forgot, I'll do it next week. Like, and then they just keep putting it off. And what we do is we delay doing the things that God wants us to do. And we do it to appease our conscience. And what Solomon is saying, he's saying, God isn't fooled by your empty words. He knows what you're thinking. But you, you, you see that here, and you also see that when you, when you vow to God, when you talk to God, when you come into his presence and you, and you start listing off the things that you want to change, be careful not to overpromise. That if you're one of those people that kind of like talking about devotions, if you haven't picked up your Bible in like years, like now's not the time to try to read it in six months. 
Like, be careful with the things that you say, but don't let that keep you from doing something. You also see that there should be a humility as we approach the presence of God. Instead of coming into his presence, telling him all the things that we're going to do, all the things that we need to change, all the things that... Uh, come, with him, come to him with a desire that says, God, I, this is hard for me. God, I want to change, but I don't know how. God, I know that this doesn't line up with what you want, but I want it. I want to. Approach him like that as opposed to approaching him being haughty and arrogant, telling him all the great things about how we do things. Because the truth is with God, the truth is in his presence, is that he, he doesn't just hear our words, he also hears our thoughts, which just seems really unfair, doesn't it? <laughs> Could you imagine if like you had a friend that not only like heard your voice, but also read your thoughts. <laughs> like they wouldn't be your friend very long, probably, right? But if they, I mean, if you came into their presence, what would be your option? Like, would, would it be smart to lie? <laughs> would it be smart to tell them something when you're thinking something completely? No, the only, your only option with someone who could read your mind is sincerity because they see it all. And when it comes to God, when it comes to his presence, your only option is sincerity. Your only option is to tell him the truth. Your only option is to tell him what's on your heart. And so we've got to be aware of our words as we come into his presence. And then finally, we have to also be aware of what we want in relation to what he wants. Because here's something that I'm sure a lot of us have figured out. That oftentimes, God wants something different for you than you want for yourself. And it's hard, right? Some of you are probably experiencing that right now. I, but he, he's, he knows the end, and so we have to trust him even when he wants something for us that is different than we want for ourselves in the moment. I think about it like this. when Last summer, we taught my son how to ride a bike. We live by Espy in Nixa, and so they have a pretty big parking lot, and so we would just do laps around Espy trying to teach him how to ride his bike. And I can tell you they were bloody, and they were bruised, and they were full of tears, like those laps, Okay. And I, I, I remember as I'm, I'm sitting there and, and we're, we're riding the bike and, and Jack would fall off and, you know, there's just blood dripping down his knee and he's like looking with tear-stained eyes, just saying, Daddy, do we, can, we, can we stop? And, and me says, one more lap. Like, that's kind of how I go. Because I'm tough. <laughs> Why, that's not funny. I'm tough. And so he's, he's fallen, and he would, and then, and then he started falling less, but he thought he'd want to stop, and then, and finally, now here, he's at a place where he, he rides his bike. He goes too fast, and we have to yell at him and tell him to stop, but here's what I can tell you. He wouldn't be at that place right now if it wouldn't have been for those bloody laps around Espy. If, it, if we would have just let him fall off the bike and not get back on the bike. 
And sometimes, like, because God is in heaven and we are on earth, all we see are the bloody knees and we don't know what the end game is, but because God is in heaven, he sees things from a different vantage point. And he knows the end game, and because he knows the end game, he's able to ask of us things that maybe we wouldn't normally ask for ourselves. And as we spend time with him, this is something to be aware of. This is something to keep in mind. And I like the way that, that Solomon fleshes this idea out, and he does it with the word dreams. Look at this in verse 7. He says, he says For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. Now the word there for, for dreams, it's actually the word that would be used to, it would be interpreted unrealistic aspirations. The idea behind there would be things that you want for yourself for your glory. And what what Solomon is saying is he's saying that when you do that, you're going to find a lot of words, and we've already talked about that not being a good idea, but you're also going to find vanity. And the idea there with vanity is, it's a word that you see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, that it can mean mirage, it can mean mist, that some places it's interpreted meaningless. And all of that to say that when you have unrealistic aspirations for yourself that are outside of God, that when you do that outside of God, you're going to find frustration. But then you see the word dream in verse 3, and it actually is a different word with a different idea. Let me read this to you in verse 3. It says, for a dream comes with much business. And the idea there is one that says when you work hard, you sleep well. That when you when you put in the work, you are able to rest in a way where you can dream. That you're able to rest in a way where your sleep is sweet. And, and when you put those two together, it, it shows us something about people. And it's that we often want the first example, not that one. We often look at our lives and we just want everything to go easy, everything to go perfect, that we want, we don't want the struggle and the heart and the challenge. But as you see in verse 3, sometimes that's what it takes to get where God wants you to go. And sometimes that's where God directs your steps. So one of my favorite authors is a guy named Douglas Sean O'Donnell. I don't think he came up with this phrase, but he's where I read it. And, and he says that what we do is we want, we want the crown without the cross. It's that we want, we want all of the glory with none of the work. But what he would say and what I would, I would repeat is that if Jesus, if Jesus needed the cross to get to the crown, who are we to think that the stories of our lives are going to be any different? If God's own son endured hardship to get to glory, then the truth is for all, a lot of us that we can expect that same story as well. 
But we live in a life, we live a life in a world where it's kind of hard. The beauty is that we all know that if, you're facing, if your faith is in Christ, we're all going to the same place. That we all have the same end goal, but there's no promises that getting there is going to be easy, and there's no promises that the road's even going to be paved. But what we do is we hold on to that place, aware that it, it might be difficult to get there. And, and, and as we experience that, that's kind of part of the nice thing about the presence of God, is that when we're experiencing the hardship, when we're going through the challenges, even when things don't turn out the way that we would want, we can rest. That we can, we can be confident, because even if things don't turn out the way that we want, we still got the time in the presence of God. So that it's not a loss but it's good because at the end, we were able to say that we know him better. So this morning as I close, I'm just so thankful that I am able to apply this message today and not when Solomon wrote it. Because when Solomon wrote this, worship, it was about a space. It was about a specific place. It was about the temple. That's where people worship God. And honestly, for the last 11 weeks, we wouldn't have been able to do it. But because of the gospel, worship is no longer about a place. The presence of God is no longer about a room. But it's about a person. It's about a person who is alive, who wants to live in your heart. That when he died on the cross, part of what he did was he changed how we worship so it wouldn't be about a place. And you see that in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, that as Jesus died, this happens in the temple. The place where people worship, this is what happens. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That, 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 that veil, that, that it was a physical barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies, that it, was, it separated the place where God dwelled. And Jesus, he ripped it so that now we can be confident that it doesn't matter where we are, but that he dwells in our hearts. And sure, these are things that we need to consider as we, as we look at the presence of God and as we consider who he is and what he wants. That we need to be aware of who we are in relation to who he is. That we need to be careful with what we say. That, that we need to be aware that what he wants isn't always what we want. All of those things are true. But even those things are true. Let the beauty of the fact that a God who is in heaven wants to make a way for those of us who are on earth. And he did through the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you.